Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Social Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Rojas. Today, we continue our journey of learning more about our fellow human beings and developing the curious mind that we talk about here. I'm going to apologize in advance in case I butcher her last name, but today's guest is Vanessa Wailishko. She is the Chief Investment Officer at Hull Cohen. She is also in her second term as president of the CFA Society in San Diego. She was a winner of the 2020 San Diego Business Journal 40 Top Business Business Leaders Under 40. She was selected for the Investment News 40 Under 40 list, and we can probably continue all day naming her accomplishments, but by now you guys understand how great she is. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. So Vanessa, thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. So do you want to get started by talking a little bit more about yourself? Sure. I'm Vanessa Vilichko. I'm the Chief Investment Officer at Hoyle Cohen, a registered investment advisory firm uh, in San Diego with offices uh, in multiple locations throughout California and Phoenix. We have about uh, $2.74 billion in assets under management. I am also currently serving as president of CFA Society San Diego. Um, and in terms of background, I am originally from the East Coast, grew up in Virginia, then went to high school and college in Boston, uh, and moved out, graduated in 2008, which was, uh, you know, quite a challenging time for a new college graduate looking for a job. Um, moved out to San Diego. Um, I was newly married, so that's a whole nother story, having conviction and knowing kind of when you've met your your mate. Um, so we had just gotten married, moved out to San Diego together. I started studying for the CFA, which is the Charter Financial Analyst designation. Um, and then I was lucky enough to find a really great firm that I knew I wanted to have a future with. Took kind of the first you know position that they that they would offer me. Uh, again, it was you know right in in the middle of the the great financial crisis, or I I guess kind of right leading up to it. Um, And um, never looked back. I've been there for almost 13 years, and I've been lucky to have really great mentors and um, been able to, you know, really grow the firm and, you know, grow career-wise along the way as well. That's awesome. And so I have a couple questions, but I'll go chronologically. So 2008, did you start working like before the recession or like right during? Um, so I started, I think, just a couple of weeks after um, Lehman Brothers had gone under. Um, so it was right before the market really started getting rocky. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were not a lot of firms hiring at that point. Um, and, um, you know, I was straight out of college, no experience. Um, and I, like I said, I found a firm that I really felt passionate, passionately about, but specifically, you know, two people within that firm, um, the gentleman who was leading the firm and then a senior wealth advisor that I'd be working with. And I took a position where I was essentially the administrative support, um, and said, you know, my passion is is truly investment, you know, research and portfolio management. And um, I'm going to show you why that's 
why that's what you will want me for in the long term. But in the meantime, give me anything. Um, and I think that that kind of long term vision really paid off. And that's something interesting about you is that I've met with different wealth advisors and you know people in the industry, and all of them kind of move around. Or at the first, after a few years, they move. You've yeah. stayed with one firm your entire uh, career. Why is that? You know, I, I think there are like pros and cons to it. For me, it was because, you know, I, I think I have a lot of loyalty. So I had found a firm that I really felt passionately about. Um, I, you know, had a, a group of people who had become like family to me. Um, I truly believed in what we were building. So when we, when I started at Hoyle Cohen, we had about 400 million in assets under management. So we've grown, you know, sevenfold since I got there. Um, and it's, you know, largely due to that core team that came together and, you know, really worked toward um, trying to spread the word and hopefully provide value to more people. Um, because at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about. And, um, you know, that's, I think at the core of why I haven't moved around, um, moving around can also give you unique experiences with different people, mm-hmm. which can be good. different people, different types of firms. Um, I think, you know, I've only worked at a smaller firm that has grown. I have never worked at an extremely large organization. Um, and now kind of grown into my myself and kind of understanding what I'm good at, what I'm not good at. I realize now that had I started at a big organization, I probably wouldn't have been happy because while I'm not necessarily the type to go out and start something from scratch, I am very entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. I like to take something and figure out how I can change it and make it better. And at a really large organization, I don't think you can do that as much. Yeah, it's definitely more difficult. And so you started, you got the first job you could Obviously, you're great at your job, which is why now you're chief investment officer. But is there anything in particular that you could pinpoint to the reason being why you, you know, moved up and got promotions to, to eventually the position you're in now? Well, I think, and I and I look for this when I'm hiring as well. But I think above and beyond any other trait, for me, it's all about you know passion, someone who takes initiative, and someone who loves to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, I I might hire someone who doesn't have the same skills that another candidate has yet, but the key word is yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely a proponent of, you know, growth mindset. Um, actually, I read a book recently that I would recommend highly. It's um, called Mindset by Carol Dweck. Mm-hmm. Um, and it talks about, um, you know, kind of the, core differences between a fixed mindset, which kind of says essentially, you know, I am the way I am and it will be that way forever versus a growth mindset of, you know, this is where I am today. This is where I want to get to. And if I do X, Y, and Z, I can get there. Um, So, you know, it affects all sorts of areas of your life, whether it's personal or professional, but having that growth mindset, I think it's you said two things right there. You said uh, passion and a love for learning. And I think you exemplify that in all the activities that you do. 
you show the passion by being, you know, the president of the CFA and loving what you do. And the learning, I know you got your CFP and your CFA before the age of 30. What was that like? Yeah, uh, well, I, I think that probably that started as a kid um, with sports and kind of having a goal and wanting to achieve it. Um, so I had been a swimmer uh, really up until college, injured my shoulder, um, and wasn't going to be able to swim in school. So I ended up going out for rowing for crew um, and spent a couple years uh, in um, freshman and sophomore year rowing at Boston University. Um, so that really trained me to um, have an end goal in mind and train and, and not be about like today or tomorrow, but be about, you know, the longer term. Mm-hmm. So getting my charter financial analyst designation, my CFA designation was so impactful because at a really young age, it's hard to really establish your credibility. But if you can, you know, hand over your business card and you've got those three letters after it, um, you can kind of just spend more time getting to know people on a personal level, having conversations and not waste the time with, I, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, it's already kind of there. Um, so, so CFA was hugely impactful for me in that way. I went after that first. Um, and then actually the second designation um, that I uh, went after was the Kaya, which is the Chartered Alternative Investment Analyst designation. Um, I had started doing a lot more in the alt space uh, in my day to day and kind of realized that I didn't have the training that I wanted to have to really be my best and to deliver the best research that I possibly could. Um, and so that prompted me to, to start that. And then the final was the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner designation. My intent there was really just to wrap it all up and to be a better collaborative partner to the advisors within our firm who um, are meeting with the end clients and really um, understand the comprehensive view so that it's not just investments. There's so many other things that can impact a client. Probably one of the you know two biggest would be taxes um, and estate planning. And those were two things that I knew nothing about. Yeah. And um, going after that um, made me a better a better partner. Yeah, so you got the CFP not because you needed it for your career, but just to be a better teammate, right? To be a better... Yeah. That's... I, to be a better communicator, to understand um, the others, you know, the other side of the table. Where mm-hmm. do they come from? So that I'm not just, you know sitting there with blinders on and viewing things from my seat. So talk about your seat as the chief investment officer. I'm sure you do different stuff every day, but what's a normal day-to-day like for you? Yeah. Um, well, what I love about you know my firm and, and my position is the diversity, right? Like there, it's changing daily um, and it has changed over the years. So, I used to spend, you know, the majority of my time really in research, um, whether that's speaking with, you know, fund managers or um, talking with advisors and and kind of educating them on what's available on our platform and why you might use it for one client versus not for another. Um, 
I now spend quite a, a good deal of my my time more in the management management role and um, empowering people and and trying to continue others education journeys. Yeah. Um, I firmly believe that you know the best thing you can do um, with your people is to empower them to help them continue their education journey so that they're the best versions of themselves and of course that's going to result in more more competition more people that want to hire them yeah but it's your job to make that happen and then to do what you need to do to make them want to stay um so I have that conversation, you know, pretty much the first day I hire someone to say, what's your plan? What would you like to see yourself doing in five years? How can I support that? Um, are there any designations or additional education opportunities you'd like to pursue? And, you know, my hope is that we can, we do and we continue to support, um, employees doing that from both from a time standpoint, but also from a financial standpoint um, to cover things like registration, dues and, you know, books and all the, the costs that come along with it. And what's that like going from kind of like an analyst to management management role? Is there something that kind of surprised you or you weren't expecting about the job? Uh, it's very different. It's a, it's a different skill set. Um, and it, you know, being so growth, being someone who wants to continue to be growth oriented. Yeah. I firmly believe it's something you have to continue to groom and continue to get better with. Um, so, um, probably the biggest challenge is flipping the way that you think. As an analyst, you typically are extremely, extremely detail oriented. Um, and you're, you're in those details all day, every day. No detail is too small. When you move into more of a management role, you need to start thinking a little bit, you know, more big picture, how it affects the firm, how it affects clients more broadly. And, um, as you're moving along that path, there's a point at which you also have to change the way that you communicate. So, you know, as a, a higher level analyst or a portfolio manager, you're still doing all the research and you need to be that detail-oriented person. But then when you are communicating with the advisor or the client, you need to take it back up to a higher level and say, what matters to them? Mm -hmm. Of course, all those details matter, but they don't need to know all those details. They want to know that you know those details and they want to know, like, why would I want to invest in this? Why does it matter? Yeah. So... I think that that extreme change and going from detail to big picture is hard. And then probably the personality is also another um, thing to work on is analysts tend to be very introverted. Uh, they keep to themselves. They spend most of their time working solo. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, eventually that changes and you need to have more interactions with people internally or externally. Were you always an introvert or were you an extrovert working as an analyst? Um, you know, it's funny because I think of myself as an introvert and perhaps that's because um, my mother is in the business. She's a financial advisor herself and she's the kind of person that walks into a room and just, you know, takes it over to, you know, she is a bu social butterfly, just 
buzzing around the room. Um, for me, it's more of a conscious effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely feel nervous walking into a room of 300 people. I don't know. Um, on the other hand, um, I like to meet new people and I really like to introduce like one good person to another good person. That gives me great joy to be able to say, Hey, you guys should talk. You have so much in common. You could really benefit from your expertise. Um, so I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm an introvert or an extrovert anymore. Maybe somewhere in between. I feel the same way. I was, I was connecting two different people via email the other day and I just felt so good after I did because that was the first time I've ever done that. And I just, there's this sense of fulfillment that comes with it. That was awesome. And similar to you, I also have to make a conscious effort to talk to people. It's not something like your mom, who's just natural. To me, it's something that you have to kind of teach yourself to do and kind of proactively do it. So I definitely get where you're coming from. But um, so your mom is a financial advisor. Is that why you became, a, you know, why you got into industry or why finance? Yeah, I think it absolutely had an impact. Um, you know, both of my parents were... I guess you could say like go-getters, you know, like really great initiative, had been very successful. Um, I would say raised me to believe anything was possible if you put the work into it. Um, And I had grown up going to the office with my mom and um, kind of seeing different areas of the business. And I knew that we had some similarities, but we also had some kind of core differences. and. You know, I think that potentially your your questions about extroverted versus introverted um, played a role in my decision to go more of the investment route versus the advisory route. Because being an advisor, you know, a very big part of it is on the social and psychological mm-hmm. standpoint. You're you're essentially you know the coach for the client, and you're um, walking them through like really important life transitions and and things like that. And so th- those are things that have such value. But um, I didn't know if that was my deepest calling versus something that was more in, in, maybe in between where I could have the analytical side of, of my skill set in the research. I could utilize um, my organizational skills. I, I'm definitely someone who likes things in a process, in an order. And I'm always looking for ways, as I said, to improve the process. Yeah. Um, so, you know, portfolio management and trying to find a way to scale that for a firm um, is something that's been a big part of, of my job. Um, and then bringing more of the social side in is the education aspect. So, you know, I'm writing a ton, doing lots of webinars, still meeting with advisors and clients, but it's more of a diversified um, mix to my days. You've mentioned education a couple of times. Is that something that you start, you're starting to really enjoy about your job? Kind of, you know, the oh, webinars? And, yeah. Yeah? Um, I, absolutely. I mean, I... I guess what it all comes down to is wanting to make an impact um, kind of in all things. I, 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 I get a lot of fulfillment for, from knowing that 
the hard work I've put into something made an impact on, on people. So um, whether that's trying to find ways to improve the way we do things at the firm, well, you know, at the end of the day, that that trickles down to the clients and the service they receive that improves the experience for employees. Um, wanting to make an impact by helping people make better decisions. That's the education aspect of, you know, working with advisors and explaining why we have certain things on the platform, why you might want to put one investment with another investment and why they pair nicely because they're maybe not as correlated and provide those different diversification benefits. When something goes up, the other thing goes down and vice versa. Um, and then empowering people um, to be their best versions and um, kind of the people management side. And are all these the same reasons why you decided to run for CFA president? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it was education. Impact, absolutely. Okay. Um, I, it's funny, we're in the process of recruiting for the next um, board slate, you know, all the next round of, of board members that'll come, come in and kind of take the reins. And I was thinking back to when I first started getting involved with, with the society and volunteering. I got my charter in 2013. And I started going out to events, you know, trying to get out of my comfort zone and meet new people. And um, I feel very lucky because the president at the time um, had the initiative to say to me, you know, just a young new charter holder, hey, it seems like you're, you know, really passionate about the community. Would you like to get involved? If it weren't for her, I'm not sure I would have thought that I would have been qualified to be on the board or that, you know, there would be any need for, for my skills. Um, and I'm so happy that she said, oh, you should start coming out and volunteering. So I started out just helping out at the front desk when people were checking in for events. Um, I ended up starting on the board as the public awareness chair, um, which is kind of social media management. And then um, a month into my term, our programs chair had to move away. And so I stepped into that role. The programs chair is responsible for mapping out the entire year of educational content. So you're, you know, kind of picking the topics and the speakers. Um, so I spent two years doing that and then uh, moved into the president role in 2017. Um, so I'm just wrapping up my second term, two-year terms. Um, and, you know, I truly would say that my involvement with the society has been one of the biggest professional development opportunities of my career. I mean, in terms of managing people, ex you know, engaging with people, creating that sense of community, exciting people um, to want to work for free. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just been so fulfilling, so much fun. It's met so many amazing people. Can we expect a third term or after two, you're done? I, I, I think it's time to let someone else come in and put their own mark on the society. I also, I had another, uh, past president ask me, 
I think, a month into my term, what's going to be your mark? What will be the thing that you leave on the society? Because every president should come in with something in mind. And for her, it was um, expanding the institutional uh, educational content. So there's, you know, two different sides of the business. There's private wealth where mm -hmm. people like me dealing with um, individual, you know, wealthy individuals who need someone to manage their money. Then there's the institutional asset management side um, where they, they may be dealing with like really big pension funds, et cetera. And obviously there are different needs in educational content between those two different groups. Yeah. So her mark was, I'm going to make sure that there's great educational content for the institutional group. For me, it actually was much more people-based and the idea that I wanted to create this sense of community. I wanted to bring our 550 members together and to make it feel very inclusive, welcoming, and to be, you know, a supportive environment where people could learn, make connections, um, you know, get new job opportunities, make friends, and have a good time. And how do you think you made you, how do you think you accomplished that? Well, I hope I've done it. Um, <laughs> I am, um, you know, I think one um, on the board, we, we got a lot more volunteer engagement. So instead of just having the 10 board positions that we've had, you know, for all the time, instead, we, we now have those board positions, but we also have committees that work with each board chair. So the program's chair has a committee, you know, of a few individuals who work together. That in itself, I think having people be more accountable for their society is is important so that you're not just a member of the society, you're an active participant. You're driving the the benefits you're receiving. Yeah. Um so we we've done that and I think that's been really helpful. In addition, we've done some addition you know, more more social events like um, introducing a trivia night and, and some of this stuff actually came forward in the pandemic when we couldn't meet in person trying to find new and innovative ways to bring people together was hard um, but uh, we, we started a, a trivia night we did um, a virtual poker night um, Back when the economy was fully open, we used to do a monthly Tap Tuesday where everybody could kind of just casually meet on, I think it was the second Tuesday of the month, and we'd go out and meet at like a brewery or a winery around around the city. Um, so just more opportunities to really form those connections. That's, it sounds like you did a pretty good job of doing that, making it more inclusive and feel like a community. So congrats for that. I hope so. <laughs> I'm sure you did. But I, Vanessa, I have to ask you. So you're, you're a chief investment officer, you're a CFA president, and you're a mom. Where do you find the time to do all of it? <laughs> yeah, so I, I have a, a almost five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old, all boys, in a condo in a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> So the last year has definitely been a challenge. Our house is completely wild and crazy. You may hear them in the recording, I'm sure. Yeah, I heard uh, a little screaming. So that's why I immediately started thinking about your kids. 
Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think it it's all about balance. And as with anything, I think you on a regular basis have to kind of sit back and reflect and make sure that you're spending your time in, in the ways that, you know, are most impactful to you. And it's a highly personalized decision, I think. Um, and, and just making sure that, that there's a good balance, um, is, is so important. And I struggle with it for sure. I want to make sure that I'm the best mom and wife that I can be. I want to make sure that I'm, you know, outperforming and continuing to grow in my career and helping to, to foster the same and in the people that report to me. Um, and I want to be a really great uh, member of our society that's, that's you know, adding to the experience. Um, and I have to be honest, that's a big reason why, you know, I, I'll be taking a little bit of a step back in, in my volunteer work with the society because, you know, you have to reach that point where you say, am I the best option? You know, am I really offering the best opportunity mm-hmm. for the members? And um, in the past couple of months, I've realized, like, I just don't have the time that I had a year ago um, to dedicate to it. And I want to give someone else the opportunity um, to make, as I said, their mark and to give it their all so that the membership is getting the best of the best. And what about you? Because you talked about being the best wife, the best mom, the best at your job. But where does Vanessa fall in all this what what do you do to kind of like get away from it? Because I'm sure you need your alone time. You need <laughs> time for yourself to kind of just let everything go and just do what you love to do other than just your work and mom and uh, wife and yeah. CFA. Well, I am definitely excited for kind of the world to get back to normal. We love to travel. That's, you know, big for us. And um, our family isn't close. You know, my family is back on the East Coast. My husband's family is back in London and Poland. So I'm really looking forward to travel. Um, We're big outdoors and active people. So we love to hike um, and we love to play tennis. Haven't been doing very much of that with the kids, but um, hopefully as they get a little bit older. Um, And then over the past year, um, just to kind of have a little bit of my own quiet time, I've been reading more, just like half an hour a day where I can just go to my corner and not be, you know, sitting there in my, my role at the firm, not be sitting in my role as CFA, in the CFA, not be mom for 30 minutes, just like kind of unplug. What do you like to read? Um, well, that's one area where you'll say, you're not unplugging. Um, <laughs> anything that is growth oriented, whether it's like on the personal front or career front. So sometimes I'll read you know, like business books about how to improve, um, how to improve culture at your firm, how to improve efficiency at your firm, how, um, as I, I mentioned that, uh, growth, that mindset book, that was what it was called mindset by Carol Dweck. That was a really great one. I also read another book called, um, tiny habits, um, recently, which was by BJ Fogg. Uh, and it's all around the concept of small little changes every day can add up to the 
really meaningful impact. Mm-hmm. Um, if you um, have certain things in your life that might be important, like, oh, you want to work out, but you don't have the time. Okay, fine. Do five push-ups, um, you know, every time you go to the bathroom or, or go do five squats every time you grab a, a glass of water. Mm-hmm. Um, before you know it, you're going to be nice and strong. And little things like that can add up to big progress. That's impressive. So everything really is growth to you. Everything is about being the best version. That's that's great. I mean, that's probably that's the mindset that's helped you get to where you're at now. Um, when you're traveling, do you get away from all that and kind of just focus on having a good time at least? Or do you, are you still thinking about growth? No, of course. Actually, I, I, I think that was one of the things my boss said to me um, early on is that like I'm definitely a play hard, work hard kind of person mm-hmm. so um absolutely um when we go out out east or when we go over to europe um i absolutely unplug and we just spend time with family and um granted it's probably not the easiest time to unplug because i'm also trying to struggle with <laughs> attempting to speak polish which at this point i'm pretty elementary um <laughs> but um always fun how hard is the polish language to learn oh for an english speaker i think it's so challenging because it's like totally different sounds so for example the the one word that i always joke with my husband about being so complicated unnecessarily complicated in my eyes it's too fresh it's which i mean come on it's too long (laughs) it's too long um but uh, the good news is it's all very phonetic. So once you understand the phonetics of the language, you can breathe pretty easily. And what's the what's your favorite place to travel? Travel to? Yeah, um, anywhere. I mean, gosh, you're asking this to someone who's been <laughs> at home for a year. Um, so, I mean, truly, I just like seeing new places and exploring. Um, and absolutely there's a lot of places to explore in the U.S. So, um, I don't think I have necessarily any, any real parameters around it, but have had tons of fun traveling back to Europe, um, in 2015. This is actually a fun story through CFA and the opportunities it's provided. Um, as a board member, you get all sorts of training opportunities. And once a year, there's something called the CFA Society Leadership Conference um, at a different place around the world. And all society leaders come together and kind of learn how they can provide more value and, and things they can be doing to enhance the membership experience. So in 2015, I had the opportunity to go to Hong Kong, which was just unbelievable so much fun i met so many amazing people and you know i don't know if i ever would have made it there if it weren't for um yeah that's awesome no that sounds that conference sounds like a great place to just learn more you know because you have all the cfa presence from because cfa is international right you guys have societies all over the world so that seems like a really cool little tribute to yeah I've lost track of the exact numbers, but I, you know, it's probably, I don't know, 180,000 members worldwide um, and maybe 180 local societies. So there's 
the Institute, which is, you know, the entity that kind of oversees it all, sets up the exams, et cetera. And then there's the local society that creates that community set, that smaller community set. So CFA Society San Diego is one of potentially 180 around the world. Mm-hmm. And just last question about traveling that I have for you. Do you have a specific, yeah, like, do you have a list of places that you want to visit next once, you know, you start traveling? I would love to go back to Italy. I would love to go back to England. Well, we haven't been since my husband and I met there in 2007. So it's been a really long time. We'll definitely go back to these, like, we'll go to Boston, New York, um, and probably Maine because we have you know, family and really important people in our lives and all of those places. And then we'll go to Poland to visit my husband's family. So did you meet your husband uh, during your semester abroad? I did, yeah. How was that like? Um, (laughs) Kind of a whirlwind uh, romance. We met um, my first day there through a mutual friend um, and, you know, became like best friends right away. And then um, obviously that turned into a relationship. And then I, you know, I was 20 at the time, completely heartbroken, knowing that my visa was expiring and that I was going to have to go back to the States. I went home and three days later, he came to join me. Um, And then I think it was nine months after meeting, we decided to get married. So um, we, yeah, so we, I, we were married when I was 21, he was 24, and we've been married for 13, yeah, 13 years. We have three kids. We waited nine years to have kids, um, so definitely didn't rush into to, to everything. <laughs> and how, um, how much of the semester away, abroad was you actually learning, and how much was you having, you know, a good time in Europe? Oh, it was... I mean, it was incredible <laughs> in terms of learning opportunities, but so different. Um, and you hear about this with even parents who sometimes will like take their kids on a year learning experience around the world. Yeah. I've heard about this. Thought, oh, wouldn't that be so fun to do with our kids? Um, where you're taking them out of school and you're homeschooling for a year, but you're giving them like real world experiences. Um, so for me, um, that's what my my study abroad semester was, I had about half of it um, really taken up by coursework. The really cool thing was that it was um, professors that had been contracted from Cambridge and Oxford, so like very, very high quality professors. Yeah. Um, really amazing educational experience. And then the second half of the semester was spent in um, – Intern, like intern work, and you had the opportunity, I think, to interview with three firms, and then hopefully one of them selected you, and then you would spend, you know, that second half of the semester going to that job mm-hmm. every day. So for me, that was at Newsweek in their uh, London bureau, and it was incredible. So um, we talked about um, pushing boundaries. Um, I had the opportunity to. Um, co-author a couple pieces and then write my own Um, and then I also had the opportunity to interview some really amazing 
you know, very powerful people that, I mean, I had no business interviewing, um, but it was good at getting me out of my comfort zone for sure. And still the best part about it was meeting your husband, huh? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, God, we're talking about hope. I mean, hopefully another you know, 60 years <laughs> at least, I hope. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Okay, so I know I know we had forty five minutes, so we we could wrap this up soon. I just have a few more questions. Um, first one is I like to ask this to everyone I meet. What has been your biggest failure, and what did it teach you? I think biggest failure was probably in my CFA journey. Um, so the CFA designation, I mean, you can look it up, but has really tough statistics in terms yeah. of the past every year. Um, and, you know, certain levels are harder for different people. For me, level two was just a killer of a beast. <laughs> um, and so my CFA journey was, you know, very young. I, I started when I was, um, I think, 21. And um, it took me five years to get through that process. It's three exams. You know, they're each at the time they were each offered once a year. And so if you failed, it was not only kind of the pain of knowing, oh, gosh, I'm in this for another year. Um, also feeling kind of embarrassed um, with some peers and having to go in and say, yeah, I took the exam. I didn't pass. Yeah. Uh, even, you know, I felt I felt pressure and kind of um, disappointment that I would be letting my husband down because, you know, he's also at the time in his early 20s and stuck at home with his wife who's you know got her nose in a book um <laughs> uh, and so um in so many ways i i think that is a real distinguishing factor um when you meet someone with a cfa designation it's not just about their expertise it's not just about let's say like the ethical um content that they learn and that is so ingrained. It's also a story of tenacity and, and someone who, if they've had those failures around along the way, has had to, you know, pick themselves up, dust themselves off, and just say, I'm gonna keep going for it. Doesn't matter how many times this takes me. Um and in so many ways, I think that character trait is more important to me when I'm hiring than intelligence. Yeah. And I'd rather have, uh, instead of having someone who has, you know, the highest IQ, having someone who has 90% of that, but they have the tenacity, you know, they take initiative, they have passion and they never give up. That's great. And how did it feel when you passed the level two? I'll be honest, I cried every time I got my CFA results, whether I passed or I failed. <laughs> um, so obviously, just so excited and, um, you know, a huge sense, sense of achievement. And it felt amazing. That's awesome. And um, because this is the social capital, I have to ask. So how do you think your social skills and your soft skills have helped you along the way in your career? That's a great question. I firmly believe that at least, actually, no, more than 50% of your success in life ends up being defined by your social skills, truly. And 
Um, if you don't advocate, this is another big lesson. If you don't advocate for yourself, no one else is going to. So, um, you need to, you know, of course, hopefully build your network, um, be respectful of people's time, be genuine, um, you know, share share your truth, including your failures. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then at the end of the day, know kind of what your long-term goals are and continue to check back on that. Don't just wait for, for a promotion or wait for a raise. Proactively be asking, how can I get that promotion? What are the things I need to be doing yeah. to get there? And then do them. You know, that's funny. That's the second time this week that I've heard those words. You have to advocate for yourself. That's the second time I've heard it this week. And I think it's not something that really gets done, especially early on in for the, you know, the younger professionals, we kind of just focus on school and school has become such a big part about, you know, it's all about the GPA and the grades that you get. So that's why it's so important. That's why I find it so important to talking with people like yourself, because if you guys are in a position where, you know, I'd love to be, and you guys are telling me this is what's important, why would I not do it? You know, and that's the, those are, that's the knowledge that you gain by talking to people like, like yourself. So, so thank you for that. Yeah, well, I think you reaching out to, you know, people that you've met, never met um, and and just taking that initiative and being brave enough to have, you know, potential fear of rejection is awesome. So many people wouldn't do it, and it's exactly what's going to get you ahead in your career. You know, I got to the point where I think from just – trying to email people i probably got rejected or no response for i want to say 50 to 100 times already somewhere in between that so rejection to me at first i took it personally at first i was like why aren't they responding so i was getting mad but then you know uh i had a talk with my mentor and he was he really opened my eyes to people are busy they have their own lives so you should never take it personally and so rejection now i kind of want it because it helps me kind of okay what did i do wrong here what can i do better now so i see it as an as a growth opportunity kind of go back to that growth mindset that you were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And so many times it is truly just you got the person on a, a bad week. You know, they were busy and you fell to the bottom of their inbox and then they forgot about it. Yeah. So circling back, I think, is important and personalizing it because people can tell when it's um, generic just and not yeah. personalized and they're less likely to respond if they know, like, okay, this is computer <laughs> yeah no that, that's that's cool. that's why i like to talk to, i reach out to people that i'm interested in learning more about i, I don't want to i don't do this just to grow my network because it's a big part of it and it's, it's it's definitely helpful but it's not why i'm doing this i'm doing this because i genuinely i'm i'm curious and i want to know about the individual themselves i don't necessarily want them to give me an internship or yeah, i'm not asking for anything other than their time and for them to talk about themselves yeah. Okay. Well, again, thank you so much for doing this. Um, it means a lot to me. It really does. Talking with, with you and you sharing your story. I hope um, I hope I did you justice by showcasing how amazing you are. And uh, just thank you so much. Well, thank you. Good, good job. You're doing a great job. I appreciate job. it. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. 
Before you leave, I want to ask you to please support by subscribing to the podcast. That way you guys don't miss an episode. Um, if you guys have any suggestions, any guests you guys think I should have on, please reach out to me. My contact information is in the podcast description. Uh, lastly, I hope you guys are playing the numbers game and actively looking to learn more about others and you know get to meet some of the amazing people in this world. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.